Good morning, Connection Point, and welcome to Church Online. Today, we're continuing our series, Normal Wasn't Working Anyway. And I'm so excited that we get to continue this message because really, when we say normal wasn't working, what we're saying is not that normal was bad. In fact, I think if we're honest, many of us want things to go back to normal. What we're saying in this series, though, is that there are some things that we want to evaluate and say, you know what? There's some aspects to maybe our spiritual walk that wasn't quite working. There are some ways we were thinking about church that might not have been the best way to think about church. So we're just evaluating our lives during this time of quarantine or shelter in place. And we're saying, what can we add to normal? What could we make normal even better? And so today we're going to talk about what I think is probably one of the most important parts of church, and that is defining how we grow, defining the community of a, of a church. And so I'm going to start off with everyone. So first of all, let me introduce everybody that's here, okay? We've got a studio congregation, as always, and they represent y'all. So we've got uh, Lindsay Montgomery. We've got Mike McCormick. We've got Wendy McCormick. And y'all get your praise hands ready. We've got <laughs> Teresa in the house. So throw up some praise hands for Teresa, everybody's uh, favorite Christian, as she likes to be known. <laughs> She's going to kill me for that. Now, um, we're going to start with our favorite segment, and Teresa's already, already, no, I'm just kidding. Our favorite segment is, of course, put it in the chat. Okay, that's, uh, well, I'm only going to do that like two more times for this entire service, I promise. But I want to ask you um, this question. What is one word that you would use to describe Connection Point Church? If you could describe our church uh, with one word, what would that word B. And so I want you to go ahead, put it in the chat, let us know what you would say, and I'm going to ask you guys. So Lindsay, if you had to describe Connection Point Church with one word, what would that word be? Family. Family. That's a great word. Mike, what would you say? Teamwork. Teamwork. That's a good word. Community. Community. Uh, friends. Friends. That's very good. Now, I'll tell you, all of those, I think, are, are hit it right on the nail of what I was thinking of. When I thought about what, how you define our church... I thought about the word family, and, and me and Lindsay are on the same, same page, but that idea of family. Now, most people, when they think of church, they might think of a sermon, they might think of a preacher, they might even think of a specific ministry, but one of the things when we think about going forward, I hope that not just Connection Point, I hope that almost every church will define themselves as a family, the family aspect of church, because family is how we form ourselves spiritually. It's how we move forward. Now, at Connection Point Church, we kind of def define how we grow as Christians through the connected life. And when we talk about the connected life, what we're saying is, spiritually, we are, we are three relationships that, that form us spiritually. Now, the first one, know God. We want to know God, not just know about God. We want to know Him. We want a relationship, a personal relationship. And so we do that by studying the Bible. We do it through prayer. We do it. There are a lot of ways in which we can know God and we can actually develop our relationship. But the next part of that is we want to mature. We want to grow yourself. And the interesting thing about this is you don't want to just make yourself a better version of you because, hey, if you're, not, if you're not that great a person, you don't want to be more of that not great person, right? We were actually created to be in the image of God. And so when we grow ourselves spiritually, we actually want to have an image we're going after, the image of God. And then the, the third part would be to show 
others. We want to show others the love of God. We want to show others how great God is. Now, the interesting thing about this, though, is that only one of these things can you do by yourself. Now, you may have said this. I've heard this a lot. I've heard people say, you know what? My relationship with God is private. That, you know what? I don't want to talk about my faith. That's private. Now, the truth is, is that that is an awful thing to say when it comes to good theology. Because your faith is never private. It's personal, but it's never private. And so when we talk about living a connected life, about really growing in your faith, the truth is you can study the Bible, you can learn a lot about God, you can pray, and you can begin to know God. You can know that that God loves you, that you're a child of God. But if you want to grow in his image, and if you want to show other people You have got to have people around you. You can't do either of those things. No matter how much we tell ourselves we can, we need other people to do these things. And here's the thing is that we're in an unusual time right now. This is not normal for us. In fact, many of us are living with more isolation right now than we've had in in quite a while. And this is actually not the way we were designed. This is kind of a destructive thing we need to be careful of. In fact, I've done some research this week. I want to show you four um, consequences of isolation, okay? Now, these four four consequences are basically things that we are losing. The first thing that has been scientifically shown is a loss of perspective, okay? We actually will begin to, to lose perspective. In fact, more depression occurs in isolation. And part of the reason uh, most psychologists would say is because you don't have people speaking into your lives. You're writing uh, higher highs and lower lows because there's no voice there to kind of even you out and tell you, hey, you need to settle down. It wasn't that big of a deal. There's no one to speak into your life and, and to really give you a perspective. And so all of a sudden, our uh, experience becomes the only experience that we, that we are uh, aware of. And this can be very destructive if you lose perspective. You, your life will begin to lose balance. The second one is this. You'll have a loss of accountability. You know, if you live in, in isolation, some of us, I've heard this quite a bit, Hey, this, this social distancing, this, I was built for this. And if you're an introvert, some, some of you that are introverts, I don't understand you, but, but I will tell you that I've heard this over and over again. Hey, I was built for this. I could do this for years, okay? Now, I understand what you mean, but I do want to, to just warn you, there's a, there's a, a danger if you, have, if you kind of say, this is a perfect opportunity, no one will, will really uh, get in my business, no one's going to call me out on things, you can actually get stuck in destructive habits and destructive sins or patterns of life, and you don't have anyone to call you out on it because you've kind of tucked yourself away. There's an extreme danger, uh, um, a consequence when we isolate ourselves from accountability. Now, the third one, is actually health. And this one was kind of surprising to me that some of us, like I've lost some, some weight. Well, not this past week. Mother's Day kind of did me in. And, and then I've had a couple of weeks since then that have kind of done me in. But uh, so take a couple of weeks off, but I've, I've been trying to get in good health. And one of the things about that though is that there have been studies that show that you are three times more likely to die due to isolation than if you are living a healthy life, even with a few, that is one or two, uh, destructive habits. So in other words, 
If you're eating carrots alone, you could be less healthy than eating Krispy Kremes, you know, together with your friends, okay? But that no matter how much you try to work out, no matter how much you try to, to be healthy, that there is a, a toll being taken on our physical health just when we're in isolation. And the same for our mental health as well. Now, the last one is a loss of empathy. And as Christ followers, this is a huge, huge deal. Because uh, similar to this idea of loss of accountability or perspective, that we're called to really feel others' losses, to really be able to be there for them, to sympathize and to walk with people. But the interesting thing, thing that happens is, as our, our lens kind of shrinks as we're not around people, and we become to be, we, we become self-focused. We become more selfish when we are alone. I've seen this in my own life where I'll, I'll sit down at the end of the day or maybe the beginning of the day and I'll say, hey, this whole day is kind of free because I, I don't have as many meetings as I, as I usually have. I don't have as many responsibilities for some of us. And we just tend to, to become a little more selfish. And this leads to a loss of empathy. Now, all of these consequences are very destructive when we want to follow Christ because this is not how we were designed. We were not designed to live in isolation. I want to show you uh, in John chapter 17, this is what Jesus was praying before he, was, before he went to the cross. He, was, he actually prayed for you and I. He said, for those that come after my disciples, for those that are going to follow me, he, he prayed for unity. This is what he said as he's talking to uh, the Father in heaven. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Y'all, let's say that together, that they may be one even as we are one. So there's this unity. He goes on and he says in verse 23, he says, I in them and you in me. So there's this unity, this community, this fellowship that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There's this unity that Jesus is desiring, not just between him and God, which is where many of us, when we think about ourselves spiritually and are we growing spiritually, we think about our relationship with God. But Jesus says, I want to see a unity between them, between each other. Not that they're by themselves just with God, but that they're actually growing unified together. Okay, and so today what I want us to do is I want us to understand a new normal for what it means to be a church family, for what it means to be a church community. You understand that the church is supposed to be so powerful that the gates of hell cannot even stand against it. That's a powerful, that's a unity, that's a, that's a unity that many of us don't think about when we think about church, that we're supposed to be so strong that even hell itself can't stay against us. Now, there's one word that over and over again in the Bible comes up, and, and it talks about how the church was so strong, how they were growing together so uh, unified. And that word, you probably haven't thought of it, is alelon, okay? Alelon is a Greek word. Now, it's one Greek word, but in English, it's actually two words. It means one another. You see, this word, alelon, is used a hundred times in the New Testament. Now, a third of those times, it, it's love one another. It is in some way telling us we're supposed to love one another. 
Another third of, of those times, it's telling us uh, to be humble, okay, or, or to, to spur one another on, okay, and, and, and kind of get along. But today, I, I want to talk about this word, one another, because the truth is, this is the most powerful word, I think, when it comes to how we grow, how God designed us to grow together in our faith. Now, uh, here's the big idea for today. The church is designed to be a place to one another, one another. If you want to know how you are going to grow and become a mature Christian, it is not just from you reading your Bible or getting alone with God. That is not the way that God designed you to grow. God actually designed you to grow because you're going to one another, one another. You're going to love one another. You're, you're going to forgive. You're going to help. You're going to do all of these things to one another. It's your action that God designed. That's why when you want to grow yourself in the image of God, you can't do it alone. You have to have someone there that one another's one another. And so today I want to look at four ways in which we're called to one another, one another. And I picked these four, again, out of over a hundred examples in the New Testament. The first way that we one another, one another, is we bear one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. You see, in, in the early church, they didn't just go to church to hear a sermon. In fact, some of the early uh, church liturgy, from what we can tell, didn't even have a sermon the very early. They might read a letter. If they had a letter from the, one of the apostles, they would sing. But a lot of people were just going there so that they could help other people. They could bear one another's burdens. This is what Paul says in Galatians 6.2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, here's one of the things that I've heard even in the past few months and before this. There are some of us that have this mentality of, you know what, I'm doing great. And I've, I've talked to some people again, you probably, you uh, introverts that are, hey, this is great. Isolation, shelter in place, I could do this all day. Now, there's kind of a, a problem, though, as Christians. Now, it's, it's, if I say, if I were to call you and say, hey, how are you doing? And you say, hey, I'm doing great. That's a great answer, okay? But if you're always just kind of upbeat and saying everything is great, this is the best time, you're, you're missing out on, on an aspect of a Christian life. And that is, if you're not bearing any burden right now because you aren't bearing a burden, you're missing out on what it means to be a Christian. You're not one anothering one another. You should always have at least in some part of your, your life should have, you know what, I have a few burdens. They're not my burdens, but I'm carrying these burdens. I'm bearing some another's burdens. In fact, right now I've been praying for so-and-so. I've been helping out so-and-so, and I know they're hurting. But some of us, we kind of have sunk into this, this dangerous place where we think, man, my life is going great right now. You know, my, I've still got my job. I've still got my, my family. I'm not lonely. I could do this all day. If, if that's us, we've got to really reevaluate what it means to be a normal church. We should be bearing some burdens. We should never feel burden-free. In fact, if we do, an alarm should go off and say, you know what? I need to be more connected. I need to bear someone's burdens. Paul, or Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That's a great word right there. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, and that's a big key, without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied 
grace. So in other words, what he said is you need to show hospitality, not just, yeah, not just do we need to, to bear one another's burdens, but he's also saying, listen, you need to be to making sure that you're taking care of people, that you're making them feel welcome, that you're letting the, the lonely, uh, someone that's lonely know that they're welcome, someone maybe that, that's, that's struggling, letting them know, hey, anytime you need a helping hand, you can come to me. And he starts off by saying, listen, you need that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I don't know if, if, if you've noticed this, but when we are isolated or disconnected, we begin to live a little more suspiciously. We, we begin to lose trust sometimes in people. And one of the things that happens when we show hospitality or when we reach out and make a phone call to somebody, what happens is they begin to, to trust a little more. I'll give you an example. Sometimes uh, going forward, uh, over the next few months, there are going to be some people that are going to be like, you know what, I don't know what Joel's doing. I don't think he knows, uh, you know, I don't think he's doing the right thing. And there might be some suspicion there. You know, why is, why is he doing it? Why is he making this decision? And if you haven't talked to me in months, it, you're much more likely. But, but then there are some people who are going to say, you know what, I know Joel's heart. I know he's for me. I trust him. I don't know why he's doing this, but I trust him. It's the same way as your spouse. If you haven't talked in a while and, and you're not talking, then, then suspicion can grow. But if you're communicating, if you're loving, if you reach out. So it's important. That's why it says it covers a multitude of sins. That it's important that you stay connected to one another, that you're reaching out and helping people. Because, uh, you know, there was this one time I was, I was talking to somebody who came to me and said, I think this, and they named a person in the church, I think she's mad at me. I said, why is she mad? Why do you think she's mad at you? I don't think she's mad at you. She didn't get mad at many people. They said, well, I walked past her, and she did not smile at me. And I thought, now, we might be reading into this just a little bit. And I went and asked this person. This person had no idea they'd even walked by this person. But what happens is the suspicion grows. So we've got to make sure that we are loving one another because that will cover a multitude of sins. When you, we need to make sure that when anytime we see someone that is going through something, we need to bear their burdens, and that's going to give us grace as well. And so everyone's favorite segment, put it in the chat. I won't sing it to you this time. I want to ask you this application question, though. What could you do this week to bear the burdens of someone in need? I want you to think about an opportunity you might have this week. And go ahead and put that in the chat. Let us know. Is there, you don't have to name names. Hey, I'm going to go, you know, unless it's me. If you're going to bring me cookies, then yeah, let me know. But you can go ahead and, and just think about what would be a good way that you could bear someone's burdens this week. Now, uh, for y'all here, I'm going to ask, um, what's the impact of somebody bearing your burdens? Um, ha have y'all had that experience where somebody did something that bore your burdens? Lindsay? Yes, um, when I was laid off, um, several people stepped up and made sure I was able to take care of things. Yeah, see, that's great. Lindsay was laid off from her job, and people stood up and, and said, hey, I will bear some of that burdens, and you know, I'll make sure you're okay. That's a big deal. Anyone else? Oh, that's awesome. Wendy needed some uh, mask when all of this started, and somebody reached out and, and did that and bore that burden. And that's that, taking that burden, that's a big deal. Very good. All right, the second way in which I want to encourage us is to 
uh, or in which I want to encourage us, is to encourage one another. The, ne- the second way that we want to one another, one another, is to encourage one another. Hebrews says this in chapter 3, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I think that's such an important thing to remember. When you just see somebody on Facebook, you just see their Instagram, you assume they're not going through any struggles. You assume everything is going right if you haven't talked to someone. You may have even called someone, and since they haven't talked to you in, 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 a, in a while, they'll say, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine. And they don't, they don't want to you know, let you in, so to speak. But there's a deceitfulness in sin. There's all of us at all times are struggling with something. We're going through a sin. We are, we're, we're struggling with it. And so there's a, something that's so powerful when we encourage that word exhort or encourage one another. There's something powerful when we say, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to encourage someone because I know they're struggling. Um, uh, Hebrews 10 says it like this. Let us consider how to stir up, some versions say, spur one another along to love and good works, not, neglect, not neglecting to meet together. So in other words, even if it's online right now, we can't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you need to be spurring one another on to good deeds, encouraging one another. You know, we all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have successful days and we all have struggle days. Every single one of them, me included. And I will tell you, just as I hope I have encouraged some of you when I reach out to you, it is so encouraging to me. There are days when I feel like a failure. There are days when I feel I was so unproductive. There are days when I feel like, you know what, I don't deserve to be the pastor of this church. I barely deserve to, to have God talk to me or, you know, to God receive me at all. And, and the gospel, I don't even feel worthy. But yet when I receive encouragement, that is a powerful thing. And I'll tell you, on my heart really has been the men of this church. Because the truth is, men, we, we, we tend to want to uh, always look as if, hey, we got this handled. I'm a man. I got this handled. And, and so I want to encourage, especially the men of this church, to encourage one another, especially if you know that there's somebody in your connect group or there's somebody uh, that is going through, maybe they've been struggling with an addiction uh, and, and they're just kind of trying to tough it out. I want to encourage us as men specifically to reach out and say, hey, I'm going to be the one that makes a call and checks on to make sure because there are going to be marriages that, that are going to continue to feel the strain. And we need men checking on other men saying, hey, are you leading well? Is there anything I can do? Can I pray for you? Because it's, that's something that not all men step into. And ladies as well, we need to make sure that we, hey, we, we, we are commissioned as Christians we, we can stir each other up. You don't need permission from the pastor. In fact, much, most of you would rather get a phone call from somebody other than the pastor to encourage you. Now, I do it, and I love doing it, but I want to encourage. Take that upon yourself to go ahead and encourage your groups. And I want to give you just a little sidebar real quick when we talk about encouragement. If you don't know what to say, uh, and maybe you know somebody's going through a, a struggle, Here's a word of advice uh, when you encourage somebody. Encourage them with, with Scripture instead of uh, how you would handle it. And that's just a, a word to the wise. Sometimes the way that you would handle it is not the way you should encourage somebody to handle it. Um, I, I did once have a, a couple 
Um, a, a lady came to me and says, hey, I was helping, talking with so-and-so about their marriage. And I said, oh, well, I was kind of, that's good. Somebody's talking to them about their marriage. I didn't realize there was an issue. And the, the lady said this, yeah, I told them I wouldn't even talk to that guy if he said that. And I said, no, 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 that's not how we handle our, our, our marriages, okay? So, so if you're going to encourage someone, encourage with Scripture or encourage them to seek counseling from someone who will encourage them with Scripture. But it's a good opportunity maybe for you to dig in before you have an encouraging conversation to say, I just want to give you a word from the Lord not always a word from ourselves. All right, the next way that we can one another, one another, is we can confess to one another. Now, I thought this is probably a real hard one for us to even talk about, so we're going to go ahead and put it in the chat. And so uh, the theme song did not play that time. Okay, we'll work on that. Okay, now, this, this is a correctly worded question, so I might have to explain it. What is the best Worst thing you have enjoyed eating during the past two months. The best worst thing, meaning it tasted the best, but it's probably the worst thing you could have eaten. But you did enjoy it, okay? I want you to go ahead, put that in the chat, chat just a little confession here. Um, so y'all, I'll go ahead and ask, anyone have a best worst thing? Teresa? Chocolate chip, nothing, bunt cake. Chocolate chip. Nothing Bundt cake birthday cake. That sounds like it was so worth it. In fact, that might just be the best thing. We might even get worse. Anything else? Can y'all think of the worst thing you've eaten? A lot of Chick-fil-A. That's, hey, we'll go again. Hey, I don't know if y'all understand the question. That's, that seems like an awesome thing. I had, uh, a few weeks ago, I had, for Erica's birthday, I had a circus animal blizzard from Dairy Queen. And, and I'm doing Weight Watchers, by the way, so I went and looked that up on Weight Watchers. Go ahead and do yourself a favor if you're going to eat at Dairy Queen. <laughs> just give yourself a day off from Weight Watchers. That's just the way uh, to go about it, okay? Here's what uh, the Bible says. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Do you know as Christ followers... We were called to confess to one another, yet I think this is one of the, the lost arts of following Jesus, is that we're supposed to confess to one another. Now, this word confession has been uh, kind of misunderstood because if you grew up in a Catholic uh, uh, tradition, there's a, a much different idea of what confession is. When we talk about confession, there are really two ways that we confess. Uh, we confess to God for atonement or forgiveness. This is what Ephesians 1, 7 says. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. So when, when I think about how am I going to get into heaven, how am I going to be saved, how am I going to be rescued, redeemed, that is all from God. I confess my sins to God. I confess that I am a sinner and he forgives me, okay? You don't have to confess to me as a pastor, I'm not a priest. I don't have 11 tickets to, to heaven that I can hand out to you. Okay, so when we confess, we're not working. When we confess for redemption or, or for salvation, or we confess to God, it's because we know He can forgive our sins, and only God has the power to forgive sins. I cannot absolve you of your sins, but there is power in healing. Okay, in Galatians. 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression or a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. A spirit of gentleness, meaning 
I'm not going to come and say, how, how could you do that again? How are you, you know, you're such an evil sinner. Instead, with a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of healing. When we pray and confess sins to one another, there's the idea that, you know what, we're walking this journey together. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help pick you up. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. But bear, there, here it is again. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ, okay? So anytime I see someone that, um, that has sinned and they confess their sin, part of what I need to do is we're going to one another one another. The way that you're going to find healing is through confessing to other brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the same journey. If you know anything about 12-step programs and addiction programs, what is the first thing that you have to do? Every meeting starts off. You acknowledge yourself and you have to admit, you know what, you confess. You know what, my name is Joel Halpin and I'm an alcoholic or whatever you would say, whatever you're addicted to. They start off with that confession because that's where healing can begin when we confess to one another. That's where we walk together. We spur one another. We want another, one another. And so, for, for many of us, when we think about confession, that's the most terrifying idea that we can possibly think of. I don't want anyone to know certain things about me. Now, at Connection Point, we call that the last 2%. You know, for most of us, I'll confess 98% of what's going on in my life. But the interesting thing is, the last 2% that I won't confess, that's really where I'm in the most pain. That's really where I want to see the most healing. But because I won't confess that, I won't let somebody speak into that or walk with me in that last 2%, that's the one area of my life that I'm probably never going to find healing. One of the most dangerous things about being isolated is that we're never going to deal with that last 2% if we don't let people in, if we don't confess to one another. And so as we think about right now, there are some of us um, that are struggling as we have been isolated. And, and let's be honest, some of us are, are tempted to grin and bear it. Some of us maybe are, are struggling with an addiction at home. Maybe you know right now, it, it could be an addiction to drugs. It could be an addiction to alcohol. I think there are, are, are people that their addiction to uh, pornography has just skyrocketed in, in, in the situation that we are currently in. There are some of us with, with envy or depression even, and it's just skyrocketing right now, and we're trying to just hold things together. But the Bible says, listen, it's not about pretending. And you may, the old normal for you may have been, you know what, we go to church, we put on the clothes we wouldn't wear anywhere else, and we smile and we act as if we've got our act together. That's the old way, and the old way wasn't working. Normal wasn't working when it comes to confession. If we want to see a new normal, one of my biggest hopes is that we can be just continue to create a place where we can confess the last 2%, not so that we'll know each other's business, so that we can see healing in the last 2%. Now, the last thing that we need to one another, one another, is we need to learn to forgive one another. Now, that's not a shocking thing to hear in church, forgive one another. But I think this is probably the most important. This is what Paul says in Colossians Put, put on then, as God's chosen one, remember, when we're, we're the church, we're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness. We're going to put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Now, this is, this is a pregnant sentence. There's so much packed in this sentence, okay? First thing I want you to, to notice is this is we're going to put on 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. All these things are, are what God is going to do to us as we one another. But you notice how you have to have a lot in order to forgive somebody. You have to, to really put on a lot. You have to be prepared. Every time that we forgive someone, which really, it, it's conforming our lives. It's, it, it's beginning to grow us in the image of God so that we will become more kind, more humble, more meek. But the reason for doing it is that we forgive others, not because they deserve our forgiveness. We forgive others because God has forgiven us. When you forgive someone, especially someone who doesn't deserve it, you are living out the gospel. The number one way you can live out the gospel, the number one way you can admit that you are a sinner in need of a Savior is when you forgive someone else who is a sinner in need of a Savior. And yet, normal for most of us is when we think of church, church is, a, church is a place where there's a preacher, church is a sermon, church might be a ministry. And if we only view church as a ministry or as a preacher or as a sermon, what happens is somebody makes us mad and what do we do? We leave. Somebody makes us mad and we say, you know what, I'm not going until so-and-so doesn't go. And when we do that, we're doing the exact opposite of what God calls us. Do you ever think the reason that that might have happened is because God wants to show you what he has done for you. When you forgive one another, you are being conformed into the image of God. And so as we think about going forward as what the new normal could be, I hope that we begin to redefine what a church community could be. I hope that, that in Connection Point Church, that we never think first of the church is a great sermon. Although, you know, it's hard not to sometimes, right? I hope the first thing we think of is the church is teamwork. The church is a family. Because you know what's interesting is that as we grow spiritually, I want you to think about how you matured physically, okay? You are who you are because of your family. For good or bad, you are who you are because of the way you were raised. There are some of us who, who would look back on our childhood and say, you know what, I'm the man I am right now because of, of my father's investment in me. Or we might point to a, a specific instance and say there was this instance and this thing that happened in my family, it was in the way my family responded, it impacted my life forever. You realize your spiritual growth is the same way that you have to have a, a healthy understanding that the church is a family. And the way that we're going to grow, the way you're going to become the person God created you to be, is you're going to be in a, in a family of people who will one another, one another. That's how we grow. That's how we become the person God wants us to be, the person God created us to be. And so my challenge for us this week is instead of, of being so singularly focused on who we're becoming in isolation, is I want us to begin thinking about this week, how can I one another, one another? How can I one another some way in a way that will impact their life and will begin to grow me? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that we've had this time to reset, that you've thrown all of our routines into such chaos that all of us have an opportunity to say, you know what? There are some things about normal that just weren't working. Lord, for some of us, the way we think about church just wasn't working. For some of us, it was a, a place where our, our kids could go hear about the Bible, and that's it. 
For some of us, it might have just been a sermon. It might have just been an opportunity to sing. But Lord, I pray that when we think about church going forward, we think about the family of God, a place where I know that I will be formed and I will form others because I'm going to one another them. I'm going to love one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to confess to one another. We're going to forgive one another. We're going to, to do anything we can to help sharpen each other because we know that you did not intend for us to, to live a, a lives apart, that you did not intend for us to live a private faith. So Lord, we pray that this church will be the family of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.